Ruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem V'Es Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. Doesn't always start right. Um, this Shabbos is the second Shabbos of Bina Mitzarim between Shavas Batamas and Tishabov. Second Shabbos of the three weeks. Obviously, it's not the same laws as next Shabbos, which would be the Shabbos in the nine days. We still do not make a Shechiano throughout the three weeks, and similarly, same as the Shabbos, even on Shabbos, we do not do so. The Shabbos, we name two parshas, Matas Masai, and please have Rachmanus and the Balkere. They are very long, hard parshas. So, those people who don't yet have a custom not to talk during Kriya this perhaps is the best week to start. It's a, not a custom. It's a halakha. I believe we spoke about it before. The Lubavitcher of the Friedrich Rebbe In the safe, my modern contrasm. In a book, one of, one of in a book, one of his my modern. Friedrich Rebbe, page safe. My modern contrasm. Chelik Beis, page seven ninety. For those who are keeping score at home, and it's good night to read it, to learn it. And the Rebbe says there very clearly that Rachmanel Etzlan, Rachmanel Etzlan. The Rebbe says. People talking during Kriya Satera. Or if Chas Shalom the Balkhera doesn't prepare properly, Chas Shalom, Chas Shalom, but it causes the Kali Yisrael. And therefore, it is imperative, not just an idea, not just a recommendation, a suggestion, a request, a beseechment. It is imperative. According to Teda, according to Halacha, one may not talk during Kriya Satera. Then there are those that question about the concept of Ben Gavra le Gavra, between one Aliyah and the next. If you need to keep your mouth moving, say tell them. Now, those of the opinion that you could say Divrei Teda, you could talk about the Pasha itself, Ben Gavra Gavra. Providing in the shuls they make mishabedachs for the elim. Here we don't, in Chabad it's not done usually, unless it's a Chabad uh, house or other, maybe Lubavitch and Minyanim on the sides, smaller Minyanim, since 70, it's not done, it was never, hasn't been done. Mishabedachs are chelim and chelanesim, and for your ledesim was the extent. And therefore, Ben Gavra the Gavra is also not much of an option. One oil that comes up pretty much after the next. So it's very important that we get used to this. It's in the get not just yourself, but to your children and future generations. It's the get to your parnasa. 
It's to get to everything and anything. It brings chas v'shalom so much so that the Friedrich Rebbe says the words Rachman al-Tzlan, Rachman al-Tzlan. Chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, right? Twice. Chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom. And Matis Masa is a perfect time to start. Because you're not going to usually get a parsha this long. So if you start on a parsha like this one, you can, you can do it on any parsha after. <laughs> yeah, I know. In exercise regimens, they tell you to start with something small and build yourself up. In Davish Pikdusha, it does the opposite. Go for the biggest possible. mitzvah that you can do and then thereafter you should be going you should go higher and higher but if you do go down you are on the top level if you go down you are only on the second to the top level and you can always work yourself back up to the top level by shaking the start in the basement you don't usually get up to the 60th floor and within a few minutes let's have a pretty good elevator Pashas Matas Masa is also Chazak the end of Chumash Bamidbar Chazak, Chazak means Chazak and we have spoken before about it and I guess it's only meritorious to mention each time it's Chazak not Chilasan B'Seifan B'Seifan B'Chilasan the connection with the beginning and the end of the Chumash. Also, we are in the three weeks, as we said, and therefore we learn the halachas pertaining to the base Habakira, the halachas pertaining to the base Hamidosh. May we see it built speedily. In our day, Amen Kenyi Hirotsin. In Pashas Matas Masay, Pashas Matas begins with Nedorim, vows. May one undertake a vow. May a person make a vow, a promise. We just talked now about saying, not talking during Kriya We don't talk during Kriya It's a hachlota. It's a resolution. It's a phenomenal intention. But by no means is it a vow. Nobody has to take a net there not to speak during Kriyas Hatera. It's absurd. I'm making a net to keep kosher. I'm making a net you want to make a net you don't want to talk Lush and Hara. You're playing with fire, that's for sure. But it's also, it's not something that's, pli- that's plausible, that's viable. One needs, one makes a net Sometimes not to eat a certain food. Chicken, meat, an egg, and this, a hens, whatever it might be. One can make another, perhaps even not to talk to a certain friend. Which is wrong. 
This is the that tells us, Ish ki yid in Hashem. person who makes a promise in Nether a vow to God. Now, the Mishnah says it's considered a siyog. It's considered a safeguard. When you make a promise, a vow, you refrain from indulging even what you're allowed to do, what terror permits. Chassidim used to say, Vas metarnish, tarmanish, Vas memeg, darfanish, what you're not allowed to do, you're not allowed to do. What you're allowed to do, not necessarily you need to do. So, one prohibits themselves from doing, indulging in something that terror permits. One needs to sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourself with what's permitted to you. Keep me score at home. It's a Gemara Yevamis. Chafamar Aleph. 20 side 1. Side A. The Rambam in Hilchus Deus writes that the Chachamim, our sages, directed a man to abstain only from the things that Torah tells us we may not do. The Torah denies us. And not to forbid oneself from partaking in something that's permitted. By just shooting and taking vows and promises. And rhetorically they asked, is what the tailor prohibits not sufficient to you? You need to undertake more? Ridiculous. In that case, what is, in essence, the correct path? Should we vow to abstain from physical indulgence? Or should we not prohibit ourselves from partaking of the permissible pleasures of the world? So the truth is, the correct approach depends on what spiritual state the person is in. The spiritual state of each individual. And in Kohelis, Shlomo describes the two possible states that a man could be Adam. Chesh made a person yashers, upright, But they've gone in search of many schemes. This upright man doesn't pursue any selfish lust or desire. Because the Chacham say, is the tailor not enough prohibitions? Are the prohibitions of the tailor not sufficient for you? You have to add further prohibitions? I don't know, but it's the opposite. On the contrary. One needs to endeavor, try very hard, 
to utilize as many aspects of the material world as possible. And to see to it that every, each and every one of them is dedicated to the service of God. And therefore, of course, taking this physical pleasure and elevating it to a higher purpose. And then we have the one that has gone in search of many schemes. However, this refers to a person who doesn't view subservience to God, subservience to God's will, as the only objective in life. This is not the only thing that has to happen. He seeks out opportunity, justification to indulge in the material world. For this person, all these pleasures in the world, all these self-indulgent trivialities, since he is not looking to elevate them to any spiritual level anyway, and only self-indulgent, the tailor encourages Asusyog Make yourself a restraint. On this you may make another to refrain from using and from utilizing these things. But the words that Taylor uses to refrain from making a vow, Teda says, Layachel devoroi. Ishki, the nether, Layachel devoroi. should not violate his word. Now, let us understand. Making a vow is not a simple thing. When a person takes on a certain promise, a commitment, no, not a commitment, but a promise. And doesn't say Billy Nether. It's a very severe issue. And it needs to be very severely dealt with. We've told this story before. Of the young man that was walking by a well. And he heard a voice coming from the well, Save me, save me. It was that of a, fair, of a maiden, of a girl. And he calls down to the well, who's down there? And she screams up, it's me. And she says her name. And he was very worried, maybe it was a, a demon hiding, they used to float on top of the waters maybe. He didn't know what to make of it. And finally she says, if you save me, I will marry you. must be real and so he lowers down a rope pulls out the fair maiden and she says okay I'll marry you he didn't have any reason to object to this he says who's going to be our witnesses just that time a weasel was going by they said, here, the weasel will be one witness, 
and the well will be the other witness. Mikubul, they both accepted it, the girl went home to her town to prepare for the wedding, and the boy went to his. The girl came home, a week, a month, two went by, and she hears nothing from him. But she's promised her hand to him. And there's different suitors presented to her, and she refuses them all. Fine young men, but she refuses. She says, No, I am engaged. And they all said, To whom? To what? And she told the story over and over, but nobody really took any heed of it. In the meantime, the boy returned to his hometown, and his parents had a wonderful surprise waiting for him a girl that they chose for him as a kala. Well, short memory and he forgot about his commitment and his promise and they got engaged and they married a year later they're blessed with a child they're blessed with a child very happy very exciting few weeks after the child is born, a weasel comes along and kills the child, eats the child. Needless to say, this is horrific, scary, painful. What could this have been? What could have, how does this thing happen? There was nothing they could do or say. And a few months later, Baruch Hashem, she became pregnant once again. And again, Baruch Hashem, she's blessed with another child. Gizun Tehid. And the child starts to grow up. And this is more exciting. Beginning to see the child growing up. And the child is crawling already. And one day the child... crawls out to the yard and falls into the well and dies the uproar first a weasel now drowning in a well and the boy sat down on the phosphorus by myself to figure out soul search and as he thought he reminded himself about the story by the well how he had committed to marry this girl and how they had used as witnesses the weasel and the well and that's why he was smitten by a weasel and a well. In the meantime, the poor girl, ever thought it cracked up, no longer wanting to hear any offers, would sit behind the oven in her house, the stove, and wouldn't come out and talk to anybody. The boy 
one of the sons divorced his wife. He knew what he had to do now. And he traveled off to the city of this girl. As he arrived in the city, he started to inquire about this girl. Everybody looked at him and says, What? What do you want with her? I want to see her, I want to meet her, I want to marry her. You're Michigan. This girl is long cracked up. She's not marrying anybody. She sits behind the stove all day. Please pray, let me see her. So, they come to the house. And he says to the parents, I'd like to meet your daughter. So and so. And who are you? And he says his name. As soon as he says his name, she jumps up from behind the stove, all excited. They're ready, she's ready to get married. So, Chuppah was arranged. And this boy and girl got married. I'm sure they used different witnesses for the chuppah than the weasel a well. But we learn from here the severity of undertaking a vow in Chazashol and not keeping it. So here the Pasuk says the same thing. Do not violate this word. He should not violate his word. Rashi explains Yachel. <coughs> Comes from the same source as the word Yechalel. To desecrate. A person should not desecrate their word. This means, Rashi continues, one should not treat his words mundanely. For example, the laws of Nidarim, of vows. It's more than just a simple obligation to stand by. More than just a dedication that you have to stand by your verbal commitments. It's a recognition of the inherent sanctity of your words. And therefore you have a duty to honor them. The Hebrew word devarav, his words, (coughs) used by Rashi in this phrase, one shall not treat his words mundanely. Devarav is also matters. A dovar, a dovar shaloi, his thing, his matter. And therefore, this Pasuk tells us something differently, totally. One should not treat his matters mundanely. And this mirrors what we spoke about. The ideal of sanctity of the Teda attributes to the vows, to our vows, 
the way the Teda puts Kedusha into our vows shows us the potential that we need to infuse in our matters the things that we do, our devotim. And we need to do so, not to desecrate, but to fill them with holiness and godly purpose. The weight that the Teda ascribes to our ordinary words reminds us of the capacity for holiness in every aspect of our lives, in the most simple and the most personal. Everything's Ashkacha Pratis. Nothing that we see, nothing that we hear is not Ashkacha Pratis, divine providence from Akadish My son had just gone to a dermatologist. And the dermatologist is a Jewish person. I don't know why. He said, I have to tell you a story. A story that I had with a patient. Okay. So the it was an old Polish Yid, an old Polish Jew. Well, I didn't even realize it was Jewish. He said, to tell you the truth. And Achman al-Tzlani had something on his chest that had to be removed. This man was very few words. A man of very few words. He had nothing really to say at all, as a matter of fact. He didn't talk practically. Came in. What's your name? He told him his name. Please take a seat on the table. Sat on the table. Lie back. He lied back. Very, very simple, unassuming person. Bayim, not Bayim. Now he had to remove this growth on his chest. So he put sedative, not a word, injections and everything into the chest. The guy didn't say a word. He did the procedure, not a word. And then apparently, in order to seal off everything, they singe it, they burn it, whatever they do. And so the doctor starts to singe it, to burn, to close off the the veins or whatever. As soon as he starts that, the guy jumps up like a jackrabbit. He jumps and he's shaking, he's He's better, he's mortified. The doctor didn't know what he did wrong. I mean, his, everything is still, the sedation is still there, the, the, the anesthesia is still in him. What, what happened here? Suddenly he noticed Rahman al On the man's arm was a number. Beat them and hurt them. He was used to all that. He can bear any pain. He started to smell the burning skin. This was not me anymore. This was about somebody else. He couldn't bear the pain of thinking. Rahman al of the Yidden that were in the ovens. That smell of burning skin that he had smelled so many times. 
This threw a tremendous tzitr into the man. Not for himself, but for what happened to the other fellow Jews. We learn in the Parsha about different assets, different parts of sorry of history of the Jews, including the conquering of Eretz Yisrael. Pasuk tells us, "Tzavas bnei Yisrael v'martaleim ki atim boim elores kinan zeis ha'oretz ashetipel lachem le'nachala Eretz kinan le'gvulaseha." Moshe was told to command the Jews, when you arrive in the land of Canaan, this is the land that will fall to you as an inheritance. Remember that key word, will fall to you as an inheritance. The land of Canaan according to its borders. Rashi explains that Moshe told the Israel the exact boundaries of the land of Israel for religious purposes. Since many mitzvahs apply to only in the land of Eretz Yisrael, not outside of Eretz Yisrael, <coughs> says Rashi, it was necessary to outline, to show the outer limits of the boundaries from all sides, to inform you that these, that those mitzvahs apply anywhere within these borders. How does Rashi conclude that Moshe outlined the borders of the land for any reason other than just telling the Yidin exactly where they're going to inherit? Where they have to conquer? Why does that have to do with the mitzvahs here? Rashi tells us only Pshutesh Mikra. So what words in the Pasuk is, is hinting, is implying such a thing? What will fall on you, or fall to you. When the Torah adds this verse, says Rashi, this is the land that will fall to you as an inheritance. That's what what tells Rashi to deduce that it has to do with the mitzvahs. The borders could have been introduced with words. This is your inheritance. The land of Canaan, according to its borders, is Canaan of Gulal. Why does it have to say, that will fall to you? These words indicate that the emphasis here is not just the conquest of the land by B'nai Yisrael staging warfare and all the other efforts, but rather this part of the land of Israel will fall to you. It will be delivered to God, by God as without effort on your part. So of course, presumably, the borders are not outlined here solely to guide B'nai Yisrael's efforts in conquering the land, because God is going to do that for them. It's going to land in their laps. Therefore, must be another reason. That is for the mitzvahs and the mitzvahs that have to be observed in the land. Our obligations to God. 
God who will cause the land to fall in our hands with ease. Rashi explains, since the many mitzvahs apply to the land of Ezzetel and not outside of it, it's necessary to chart out the outer limits, the boundaries from all sides, to inform you that those mitzvahs apply anywhere within these borders. The beginning of the parasha starts Matis by Yedaber Meisha Rashi Hamatis of Bnei Yisrael. Meisha spoke to the heads of the tribes of Bnei Yisrael. They refers to the Bnei Yisrael as Matois, and each individual tribe is called Mate, Mate Bnei Yisrael. We have other places that the Yidna are referred to as Shvatim. And each tribe is considered a Shevet. In essence, they both, Mata and Shevet, mean the same thing, a staff, a shtekin, a branch. The reason that reference is made as far as a staff is concerned to Klai Yisrael, because we're all branches of a single tree. But what is in essence the difference between a Mata and a Shevet? A Shevet is a moist, freshly cut branch. Or even one that's still attached to the tree. It's very it's still pliable. Take a piece of wood off it. You take a branch. You don't have to take it. You watch it. It swings, it sways. It moves in the wind. On the other hand, mate is reference to a branch, ashtekin. It's lost the moisture, became hard and tough. They use it for hiking. Ashtekin. What else is ashtekin? You could probably use it for bonfires, but that would be terrible because you get personally attached to your shtekin when you go for walks. Spiritual terms. The tree here represents the divine source that is the every Jew. Accordingly, Mata and Shevet allude to two different phrases experienced by the godly soul in its relationship with divine service. Shevet refers to when the soul, its connection to the source is fresh and evident. You can see it. In a general sense, this refers to the godly soul before it came down to the lowly world to be clothed in a physical body. On the other hand, the dry mate, the dry staff, alludes to the godly soul while it's within the human body. Its connection to the divine source is not so obvious. Likewise, these two branches 
all to represent different eras of the Jewish history. The fresh branch, probably best described the Jewish people, in the time when the Beis HaMikdash was standing. Holy Temple stood in Yerushalayim, and they always saw Gatlachite openly. On the other hand, the dry one, that alludes to the state of the people Nebuchadnezzar since the destruction. Since the destruction of the Besamikdosh and the time of Golos, which literally has sapped out the Jews out of us. Yet, the term Mate or Matis, as this parish is called, also expresses another benefit a benefit that's engendered by the spiritual dryness the harsh and bitter, bitter exile has uncovered the Jewish people's intense resolve to the observance of Tena we're a firm strong nation where nothing lets us sway because we're standing silent. Shabbosis, as we spoke about before, Ben Amitzarim, have a double standard, really. From one hand, on one hand, they're part of the three weeks, which is painful, torture, mourning for the destruction of the temple and its exile. On the other hand, it's Shabbos. And Shabbos, we're not allowed to mourn. We're not allowed to have Avelos. Because also la Shabbos enik. We need to have pleasure on Shabbos. Oxymoron. Shabbos of the three weeks. Shabbos, the joyous day of Shabbos. The three weeks, the time of mourning. This is therefore the Shabbosim. Show us the true essence of what we're doing here in exile, as we just spoke. We don't really feel it. Exile, Golos, as we know it, is a horrific thing. It's painful, it's torturous. But within it we need to find the essence of goodness in a most wondrous way. Which is ultimately the Yulah, the redemption. We can't have a redemption if we're not in exile. I can't pull you out if you're not inside. Therefore, when the Gula comes, it will turn over. These days will literally be turned over to days of 
joy and happiness. This we see in these Shabbos. In the time of three weeks, we have the Shabbos. And this is also hinted in the fact of Matas Masai. Which is always read in the three weeks. And most part are read together. B'nai Yisrael are prepared they're compared to Shvatim. As we just said, Shvatim or Matis. As we just spoke, that they're all branches of a tree. The soft and the dry. And these two names refer to, as we said before, the Neshama. How it comes down into the world. Whether it's, God forbid, severed from its source or still connected to the source. Mata, of course, is the concept of the Yedide. The distance, the furthest possible distance from the source, the godly source. source. Masay, on the other hand, hints to us the journeys of the Nishama from the highest level brought into this very world. And in the second, second stage, the lowest journey of Kal Yisrael in the era of exile of Golos, we still can see the Yerida Lamata. And we therefore involve ourselves with the essence, the finding, the Metzias of our Neshamas and our Yiddishkeit. What's the, why? Why are we coming down this place? Why are we going down that path? Yerida Zud This Yerida, this going down into Golos is in order that we should swing back up. And the marshal given the Chassidus of the tree that was taken and folded back. And they put a, either a person or an item, an object, on the top of the tree as they were holding it down. When they let it go, the tree returned back to its status of straight up, but the item flew so much higher. And this is the concept of goals. As low as we may be, that's how high and much higher than that we will achieve with the Gaula. And this heavy, this strong, dry staff that can't be bent and this very fr- does not move to and fro in comparison, of course, to the Shevet. This shows us the end of time. And Matas Umasai, this tells us about the Tachlis of the Yerida with the reason 
and purpose of this Yerida, as lowly down as we go, that's how high we will achieve when we connect once again to HaKadosh Baruch And therefore, Matas and Masai are exemplifying the Muhus Amitis of Golos. The ultimate, most powerful Aliyah that will be revealed Dafke within the Golos. The same very Jews, Rechman al-Islam, that have been brought down into exile will so much more so appreciate the Gula Amitis Vashtema. And this is the Mahus of the Shabbosis the Aliyah that's awaiting that's being derived from the Yerida a Jew needs to always remember the reason that the Neshama came down into this world and why we are finding ourselves now in Golos itself for one reason and one reason only to achieve and to reach to the highest possible level, the Geula Mitzvah Vashlema. Once we recognize, once we all recognize this, and we indulge ourselves, <coughs> and with the strength to stand against all odds and all, and all evil and all troubles of the exile will fulfill the Ratzon of Hashem Dafke with the Yerida, the Cheshech and bring us to Geula Amitiz Vashlema. We spoke already once about Mas Eben Eitzrom 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 the journeys that they took when they left Mitzrayim, okay, they only had one journey. Once they left Mitzrayim, they were out. But this is refers to this refers to all the journeys that we have, that we take. Throughout our life, all the trials and tribulations. Pasha in the Pasha we talk about the conquering of the land and the three cities that were set aside on the other side of the Yardin we have besides sorry we have the, the, the we spoke about Ruvain, God and Ruvain and God stayed on the other side of the Yardin how they were 
forced to come, not forced, but they insisted, Moshe insisted they come to battle with them. And we learn about the cities known as the Arei Miklot. to find it. Okay. Let's do this one first. The Arimiklot, the cities of refuge. The purpose of the cities of refuge is if a person, Rahman al kills a person by accident. By accident. And he was chopping wood, but his axe looked a little precarious. And the inspectors were walking by and they told him, two inspectors together, they were not related, said to him, Rabid, you got to be very careful with that axe. You can kill somebody like that. And the tailor gives us different scenarios. If he lifted up the axe, or if when he pushed down, pulled down the axe, the head came off and killed somebody. If this happened though, and according to the scenario which the Torah places it, this is called Reitzeach B'Shegeik, by accident, and we don't kill him. We also don't let him run loose in the street because this is what's called a Goyol Adam, the relative that will come and avenge the blood of his brother relative. Therefore, We send them to the cities of refuge, Aremiklot. And the Taylor describes how the well the roads had to be lit. Rambam writes, had to be signs all over the place that said Miklot, Miklot. So the person should know where he had to run to. And he went there, says the Taylor. And he stayed there at Meis Hakayan Hagodl. Until the Kayan Godl passed away. The high priest. For as long as the king God lived, the Ritzeach could not leave the city. Only until the king God, once the king God passed away, he can go home. Needless to say, this is, sounds like a severe punishment to the king God. After all, hey, what do you think the guy in the city is doing there? He's in the city of refuge, all he's doing is crying and praying to Hashem. Get me out of here. And there's only one way out. King God will dying. So, what's he praying for? Pretty sad. So, the Yamada tells us that the mother of the King God would come and bring beautiful meals, foods, fruits to the people in Darimiklat. So, they should be happy there, complacent, and not for the son to, her son to die. But what is the actual connection? What does the life of the King Godel have to do with the person that killed by accident? What is the connection between the murder of somebody and the longevity 
of the Kohen Gadol. So Rashi says, the Kohen Gadol came the Hashri Shkina B'Yisrael L'Harach Yimeim. Kohen Gadol's mission is to the Shkina should rest amongst the Jews and people should have a long life. The Ritzayach, on the other hand, comes to drive away the Shkina and to shorten the life of people. Why should he precede the Kohen Gadol? That's Rashi's answer. Why should he live? <coughs> Why should the Kohen Gadol have to outlive him? Rashi's not happy with this, though. And he adds something else. Kohen Gadol had an obligation to daven that this should never happen in his lifetime. Random. Punishment is not on the king of The person sent to Ari Miklot, he's punished. What does this have to do with King Godel's davening? Rashi is coming to explain something very deep here. The connection of these two things. The fact that the Tater connects the punishment of the murderer who murdered by accident with the death of the King Godel. This proves to us that they have something very in common. Not that they did their different deeds, but rather there's an essence here, a deep essence that they share a common denominator. The Ritzayach cannot leave Aramikla, as we said, until the king, as long as the King Godel is alive. Because he's not forgiven for his sin. Mm-hmm. However, with the passing of the King Godel, he is forgiven. As we say, Mrs. Satik in Michaperes. Rashi brings down. The passing of a tzaddik forgives. On the entire generation, and so too the, the passing of the Kayin Godel, forgives the Ritzach who killed somebody by accident. Wait a minute. Why Dafke, the Kayin Godel passing, forgives the sin of the Ritzach that killed Bishkaga? Any tzaddik! That passes away, forgives the generation. For this Rashi answers the Kain Godel Dafka because he was obligated to Davin on Yim Kippur that this should not happen. His spiritual mission of the Kain Godel is to elevate Kedusha such a level on the Jewish nation that there should never be any kind of possibility that such a thing should happen. And since such a thing happened in the Kaingodal's lifetime, it has a certain effect directly on him. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu established 
Dafke, his passing, forgives the story of this murder. From here we learn a tremendous, tremendous lesson when it comes to Avas Yisrael. The Kayan Godel and the Reitzeach They come to represent the strangest and most wacky opposites. Call you right back. From one time, one side is the ultimate kedusha and purity, whereas the other side is the lowest form of sin. He killed somebody. It was accident, it was this, it was that. At the end of the day, he killed somebody. And still in all, they come hand in hand. That these are all part and parcel of one nation. The Cain Godel is the continuation of Arna Koyin. And he needs to therefore see to it, that Jews should live longevity, long life. On the other hand, he had to doubt that nothing like this should ever come about. <coughs> Even on the lowest, by the lowest Jews. And this is therefore the, mis- the mission of the King Godel in each and every generation. And his Twila is accepted. We're dedicating this year to Shalom Berem Yeshua. Passed away yesterday. And may his family, may his wife, and his children have Arichas Shalom Vishanim and the family shall have long gesund yaren and shvizeichet to kitzeran v'sheich neafar who v'seicham because he was the type of a king godel that we needed person that spoke good and always tried to defend the fellow Jew. Hilchus Beis Abachira, as we spoke about, Sayin the Novi, Sayin in the Mishnah, and Sayin in the Rambam, where the Novi tells us again, each Pasuk, Vayivieni, he brings me. He brought me. It's not just he showed me, but he brought me. And this is a lesson that also in a life lesson that one needs to not only see it or hear it, one needs to physically bring themselves to it. And the Mishnah, where the Mishnah also talks about in the Bayez Sheni, there's different parts of the Mishnah, there's different parts of the, the Temple, and we had the Mizbeach, and the Mizbeach had to be made of stone, and the stones could not be chipped. But more so, the stones cannot be touched by metal. As metal is an item which represents destruction. And that would make it in unfit. And also in the Rambam, as the Rambam talks about the different kalim of the Meneda, how the Meneda is set up, how it was established, the light that it had to bring to Kal Yisrael, Meu Bizecha, the Binya Beis Hamidash Ashlishi, this very Shabbos, in the Shalayim, in the Shabbat Shalom.